0: Good morning, if you could remain standing. Good work, really good work. Well, as we've done the last uh, two weeks, we're going to start with our like banner text over all of Advent, which is in uh, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, and we'll all read it together. So let's read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Amen. Yeah, our, our prayer as a staff is that we would... Uh, the repetition of that weekly would help us to believe it more and more. Uh, my name is Charles. I'm one of the pastoral residents here. Uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. Grateful to uh, to you all. I mean, you don't really have a say in it, but you could all leave. I guess that would be a strong statement. But grateful to our staff and all those uh, who... Uh, allow me to be up here. So let's pray before we dive in. Father, thanks for this day. Um, let us, we want to just pause and recognize that you are God. We can only fathom that so much, uh, and it falls really, really short of your glory, your splendor, and your holiness, Lord. So would you forgive us our sins as we long to know you more Thank you, Jesus, that you have made that possible, that we can walk in you in freedom, uh, not in condemnation, and that we can walk in you in victory and not defeat or death. Um, Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you have come and you will come again. And thank you that we can know you. Would you please work in and through me mightily this morning, Spirit? If it's just me, this is a complete waste of time. So God, would you please do the work? Uh, And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, those who know you. I ask that you would strengthen them, God. Encourage them. uh, Build them up, Lord God, to believe the gospel more and more as they walk each day uh, until they meet you. And I pray for those in this room who don't know you, who wouldn't call themselves Christians. I ask, Lord, that you would work in them. Their eyes would be open to just how good you are, and the freedom that comes with knowing you, God. Thanks that you're with us in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our joy, in the midst of the mundane, everything in between. We need you desperately, God, be glorified, speak through us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are currently in the season of Advent, uh, we've walked through some big topics the last few weeks, hope and peace, and today we're going to touch on joy, big, big Christmas words, right? Um, this season of Advent is, is a season of expectation, of, of waiting, of longing for Jesus' birth. Now, we know that Jesus' birth has already occurred. And yet, when we pause in the midst of our busy life it's, and, and wait and expect it, uh, it helps us to dwell on it uh, all the more. Now, I know many of you are very familiar with the Christmas story from the Bible. We're going to recap it a little bit here and there. And then we're going to dive into what it looks like to uh, have joy in the midst of the season. More specifically, what does it look like to have joy in the midst of brokenness? Uh, We live in a really, really broken world. You carry brokenness with you inherently because our hearts are just messed up. And then you have most likely been the uh, recipient of all sorts of brokenness. Uh, Maybe even this morning. Um, Maybe this weekend. Maybe bigger than that. Uh, in Luke t- one, we see an angel tell Mary, Jesus' mom, this. He says, "And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And in Luke two, an angel appears to these shepherds. And it says, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and the shepherds were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We just sang this, we, and we see this throughout, that the season of Christmas, this story of Jesus coming, this long-awaited Savior coming, uh, God fully in the flesh, but fully God in the form of a baby, brings great joy, brings great celebration. All the heavens Ripped through the sky in that passage and started praising the name of this newborn baby Jesus. And we see what's interesting is, as Christians, we know the season is one of celebration, just like Easter, because we know the truth behind it. What's interesting is our culture around us, though, also replicates or seeks to replicate this joy that we have in the church. Um, you see, and now it happens in like September mid-September, but you see garland go up, and trees go up, and lights go up, and people greet each other when they normally ignore each other, and joy, and hope, and peace, and all these big themes are all over the place, right? Whether it's like Lowe's, or definitely Hobby Lobby, or anywhere in between, there's Christmas in your face, and it's bright, and it's spirited, and it's fun. Um, You see giving increase from people who don't normally give, and, and all these different things, and yet... For many of you, many of us, this season doesn't scream joy when you think about it. Really even starting uh, probably with the impending arrival of Thanksgiving, a lot of you started to dread this few-month stretch. Uh, Some of you have specifically told me that, as we've talked over the last month or two, that, yeah, it's our first Thanksgiving without fill in the blank. And we don't want to do anything, but we, I guess we'll just get together and figure it out. And so though this season uh, has this huge banner of joy and peace and comfort and all these things, many of you are feeling, it's not that you're just not feeling those things, it's that you're experiencing the, the opposite of those things. This is not a season of joy for you, it's a season of despair. You've been dreading the day that's coming in ten days. You've been dreading the fact that we have to have Thanksgiving without so-and-so. Some of you, I know, recently, in the last few months or in the last few years, have experienced great loss, whether it's your mom or your brother or your sister or your son or daughter or your best friend, whatever it is, you've experienced that, and, and we've seen it, and we've walked with you. A lot of others of you have experienced stuff that I don't even know because I don't even know you personally. Others of you are sitting here and you're like, "Thank you God that I haven't experienced great loss." And yet, you go to sleep lonely at night, or you scroll Instagram wondering why you're not like so-and-so, or you watch these commercials where there's a Lexus in the front driveway with a bow on the top, and you're driving a beat-up PT Cruiser, and you're wondering, I don't even want that. I just want a car that won't die on me when I get to the stoplight, right? So there's all sorts of things that are stealing our joy, whether it's really big, tragic stuff, or maybe what we would say is really small stuff that's sneakier. And yet, all of it is trying to take away the joy that we have, we should have, in this season. Tish Warren says this, she says, In the church calendar, every period of celebration is preceded by a time of preparation. Historically, Advent, the liturgical season that begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, is a way to prepare our hearts and minds and souls for Christmas. For Christians, Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth. That light has come into the darkness, as the Gospel of John says, the darkness could not overcome it. But Advent, Advent bids us first to pause and to look with complete honesty at that darkness. And she goes on to say, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, and darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but also are wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. Merry Christmas! Right? It's like, welcome to Redemption Peoria. Um, I know I'll say this really quick. We, my wife and I... Um, we got married November 7, 2014. This church planted officially, our first Sunday was whatever, the first February, first Sunday, sorry, I think it was February second, 2, maybe, 2015, just a few months after, uh, and my, my wife's, I don't tell you this so you can make weird comments to us, so I'll throw that out there to protect ourselves. Uh, my wife's brother passed away uh, within a month of this church planting, and so a lot of you walked alongside us in the midst of this, and we are feeling a lot of what we're going to talk through today. Um, I don't say that to, like, give myself credibility, but... Um, We're with you in the midst of your suffering. So, Advent brings this space of recognition that we celebrate that light has come into the darkness, that the darkness cannot overcome it. But as we recognize that, we have to recognize that darkness really exists, and we have a really big need to be saved from it. In Matthew 1, an angel appears to Joseph, the husband of Mary, and says this. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then two verses later it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus' arrival means salvation from our sins. Praise God. Jesus' arrival also comes with his name, Jesus, but also Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, obviously, there's a really practical aspect to that of God was literally with him as a human. But it's bigger than that. It's universal in that we know that Jesus is with us even now through his spirit. And so today, uh, it's interesting because it's a topical sermon. We're not just marching through a text like we normally do. So we're actually going to look at three different instances uh, of this Emmanuel, this Jesus, this God who's with us. If you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 11. We're going to jump to Matthew after and then to Revelation. So be ready. Bible trivia time. In John 11, verse 1, it says this. Now a certain man was ill in the place where he was. Now, this is a familiar passage to many, and probably not the most Christmassy passage we'll see. Um, but you see this picture of Jesus. He's he's an adult. He's in his ministry, and his friends, his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, they're his dear friends, and Lazarus is ill, really, really, really ill. And so they come to him and ask for him to come, knowing that he can heal their brother. It says that Jesus loved them, that they're his dear friends, and yet Jesus waits for two days where he is, which is not where Lazarus is. And I'll summarize the rest, but eventually, after a few days, Jesus goes to where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are. The thing, though, is that Lazarus has died. Jesus waits till Lazarus is dead to come to them, and Martha runs to him, and she asks him, Lord, if you would have come, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he gets closer, and Mary comes and asks him, says the same thing to him. If you would have been here, Jesus, my brother wouldn't be dead right now. And Jesus reassures them, tells them that it won't lead to death, that he's the resurrection, that, that their brother will rise again. It won't just be at the resurrection on the last day, but it'll happen soon. And yet it says, in verses 33 through 35, it says, Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. So Jesus knows that he's going, he waited intentionally so that he would get the glory, so that Lazarus would really, really, really be dead. And that he could raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That Mary and Martha will be overjoyed. That their sorrow will turn to joy. And yet, even though Jesus knows that he is going to be the one who does that, he weeps. He's sorrowful. And he's deeply troubled. Flip over to Matthew chapter 26. This is more a Good Friday passage than a Christmas passage. Verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see in the passage with Lazarus, Jesus knowing that the end result will only be good, and yet he weeps. We see in this passage, he's in the garden right, right before he's betrayed and taken to be crucified. And yet he still knows he'll rise again. He knows his purpose. He knows when he comes as a baby that one day this will happen. He's not surprised or caught off guard by it but he knows that he's going to suffer and die. And it says that he's sorrowful and troubled. In verse 38, Jesus himself says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. In Luke, it talks about how his sweat turned to blood. He was so sorrowful. And he he asks the Father that if this cup of suffering and God's wrath and death could pass him, please let it be so, but your will and not mine. And we know the rest of the story, right? Judas comes on the scene. He's betrayed by his good friend. All of his other friends abandon him. He's completely alone. He's imprisoned. He's misrepresented. He's falsely accused. He's spat upon. He's tortured. He's beaten. He's scoffed at. Ultimately, he's crucified publicly and killed in the, really the worst way possible. And what's interesting is we read, for those of you who have grown up in church or are familiar with church, I've been Christians a long time, we, we, Jesus' death kind of becomes like, it's the ABCs of Christianity. So we, we forget the fact that he actually, like how horrible death is. Like he, we, if you've experienced the loss of somebody close to you, you understand in a way how horrible that is. And yet Jesus experienced that himself. Full death, separation from the Father, all those things. And even though just like Lazarus, he knows it will turn out for his glory and his good and ultimately our good, he's Move to the point of sorrow, um, even to the point of death, there. And my hope is that as we look to Jesus as our suffering Savior, we would be encouraged. Maybe not happy, but encouraged or strengthened, knowing that we have a God who is high and lifted up, who's fully in control of all things, which raises all sorts of questions when, when loss comes but who's also nearer than anybody or anything could be to us at all times, but especially in the midst of our loss and sorrow and loneliness. Because no one has suffered more than Christ. No one has been lonelier more than him. No one's been betrayed like him. No one's been misrepresented like him. And so my hope is that as we walk through suffering, we can be really, really strengthened by the fact that he is walking with us. Revelation 21, if you want to flip over there. We've seen a picture of Jesus losing his dear friend, and even though he knew he would raise him again, he's sorrowful and weeping. We see Jesus in the garden before he's betrayed and crucified, knowing that he would rise again, and yet he's sorrowful and weeping. And now we see Jesus in heaven. Revelation 21, it says this. Verse 1. and God Himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. And true. So believer, as you walk into this season that's supposed to be saturated with joy, be encouraged by two really big things. One, Jesus, your Savior, knows your suffering. He knows your suffering, and he knows it deeper than you do. And he's with you, whether you realize it or feel him, Or not, But also know, as you struggle probably to have joy most days, that one day you won't need to worry about tears or crying or be embarrassed by your tears because Jesus will wipe them all away and they won't even exist anymore. So you have a unique opportunity, and you probably would rather not have this unique opportunity, but you have a unique opportunity in the midst of your grief to have joy, to know that Jesus is with me because he's not just high and lifted up, but he suffered and he's with me in my suffering. But also that one day these tears won't exist because he's going to wipe them all away. There's two really, really big implications of this as we, as believers, walk through uh, the holiday season seeking and, and experiencing joy in Christ even though we might feel like we're surrounded by the opposite. One big truth is this, you can have joy in the midst of a broken world because your suffering is not meaningless. Your suffering, like I said, if it's huge, like you just lost family, you had tragedy strike like yesterday, or it's really, really, really maybe what you would say is small, like you're just discontent. Or maybe you're wondering why you're still single. Or maybe you're wondering why you can't have kids. Or maybe, whatever it is, we could go on forever with all our brokenness. Whatever it is, it's not meaningless. John Piper, when he preaches on 2 Corinthians 4, he says this. He says, not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally Meaningful. He says, every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. He says, I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, I don't care if it was slander or sickness, it wasn't meaningless. He says, it's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course, you don't see what it's doing. He said, don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say, that's meaningless, because it's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. He says, therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Your suffering is not meaningless. God is working in you in a way that you probably don't see now and you probably may never see, but he's working in you for your good, as weird as that sounds, for his glory, and it's making your hope in him greater, it's making your joy in him greater, and it's also showing the world around you that all the things that we seek after for joy, they are meaningless. So not only does your suffering have meaning and God is working in you, but a watching world is looking at you as you grieve. And I don't say this to make you feel like you have to pull up your bootstraps and do something in the midst of your suffering, because a lot of you feel like you can't do anything but breathe right now. But your suffering, as people watch, displays true joy. Joy that is only found in Jesus to a watching world. Your suffering is producing and displaying the joy that is only found in Jesus to your brother and sister who are in Christ, who are going through a similar time of trial. It's displaying the joy that's only found in Christ to your brother and sister in Christ who have like never experienced trial, but one day will and they'll remember you. And it's displaying the joy that's only found in Christ. To all your friends and neighbors who don't know anything about Jesus, and they wonder how you can say that the anchor holds when you feel like all your being is tossed in, to and fro. Marshall Siegel, in his article titled, Someone Needs to See You Suffer Well, says this, and it's, it's pretty lengthy. He said, few things fortify the soul against Satan's deception like watching another Christian suffer with persevering faith. When we watch others walk through the valley of the shadow of death with purpose and joy in God, through ups and downs, their faithfulness and endurance inspire fresh hopefulness and vigilance. He goes on to say, Against all our worst fears and assumption, suffering well actually proves the gospel's power over and over again and spurs the spread of the gospel further and faster by inspiring boldness in others. Don't assume your suffering is a detour, Suffering may hinder or even halt a hundred things in our lives. I would say suffering does hinder or even halt a hundred or thousand or million things in our lives. But God loves to use our griefs to magnify our small visions of him. And suffering makes the gospel run with a pace unknown in prosperity. He says, whatever we, we want, whatever we suffer, however big or small, to make God look more trustworthy and satisfying for anyone who might see how we suffer. Someone needs to see you suffer well with Jesus. Someone needs to see you suffer well with Jesus. People need to see you clinging to his promises, treasuring his friendship, and praising his name when life is falling in on you. Some may not know how much they need to see you endure because their suffering hasn't come yet. But it will. And when it comes, they'll remember the saints who they have seen suffer well. So we walk into this season of Advent expectantly eager for the arrival of our Savior. And it's joy, 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 joy. This precious baby is born, and it's so pure and good, and yet we know that we're going to be celebrating Good Friday in just a few months. We know why he comes and in our grief we can cling to him or or maybe let's just take our effort away. In our grief we can know that he's holding us because he has suffered with us. He's a savior who suffered with us and knows us in our suffering. And in our suffering we can we can and again this isn't us actively doing it but we can act we can show his power, his sufficiency his grace, his wisdom, his love, his comfort, his protection. We can show all those things, how he does all those things, how his character is true, how his promises are true. We can do all those things to all our friends and neighbors who don't have that and to our friends and neighbors who love Jesus, and know Jesus, and need to be reminded of that truth. We're going to sing a song here in a bit called Rejoice by Dustin Kinsrew. He says uh, this, In one of the verses, he says, All our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked this path before us. He is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice. Rejoice. When you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice. In the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. Rejoice. That's true. So as we await Jesus' arrival, as we celebrate it here in 10 days, a lot of you guys just freaked out because you don't have your Christmas shopping done. But as we await his arrival here, and as we celebrate in a few days, we also await his second coming, where we can wait in him and hope in him and have joy in him in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our um, whatever it is, our our want knowing that one day he will make all things new. And we won't have tears anymore, and we won't need to testify to our friends and neighbors about his goodness because it'll be obvious to everyone. Be encouraged, believer. Jesus is with you in your sorrow. He's with you in your loneliness. He's with you as you grieve. In all of that, we can have joy, foundational, deep, thousand-mile-deep joy, knowing that he is with us and he is the king. Let's pray. Life's really, really hard, Lord. A lot of times. um, And that's tough. I really miss the days when walking with you just meant abstaining from certain sins and everything else is just really good. Um, But you have called us to trust in you in the midst of our longing for your return, our longing for you to make all things new. We're grateful that you are with us. We're grateful that your promises are true. We're grateful that you keep your word. We're grateful that you come, that you've come to save us from our sins, that you are a man of sorrows, that you are acquainted with grief, and that you're near to the brokenhearted, that you save the Christian spirit, that you bind up our wounds, that you turn sorrow into joy, and even in our sorrow we can have joy uh, as we grieve. Thanks for the gospel, thanks for the chance to celebrate Christmas, and I pray for everyone in this room who's, who's battling all this. Um, help them, God, help them. We know you're near. Would you, would you be ever nearer so they would know that you're there? And God, would you be displayed in your goodness so that this whole world who's walking in darkness can walk in light in you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name.